Today's guest on the podcast is Will McGough. He's the author of the new book, Swim, Bike, Bonk. And we had a great conversation about what happens when you tackle an Ironman triathlon in a very short period of time with no experience doing triathlon. So we had a great chat. He's a travel writer who lives in Hawaii and sounds like a really, really fun, fun experience. But we talk about the realities of of travel writing and and tackling a book and and those kind of things. So I hope you all enjoy this episode with Will McGough. Hi, and welcome to the same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. Today's guest is Will McGough. How are you, Will? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Appreciate you having me on. Glad to have you. Aloha. Aloha. That's right. We were talking before we started recording. So you're based in Hawaii and I was saying that. (laughs) Can't be all bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, I won't tell you what the weather is today. Oh, um, no, I've already went do. for a nice hike, and it was very nice. It's kind of like this. December is actually a great month out here. We're on kind of the brink of the rainy season, but when you catch a nice day, it's super clear and and cooler. And so, yeah, I caught a hike this morning, and yeah, now I guess having my afternoon uh, hangout. So, yeah, thanks for having me on. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, it's it was. I woke up to um, a notification on my phone that said nine degrees, but it will be thirty three for a high. Okay. Well, as long as you're out in the mountains or skiing, like you said, you plan on doing soon. I think that's okay. I I love winter too. I like the variety, but yeah, there's something to be said about like predicting nice weather every day and and getting it and yeah, not having your life go around that, but yeah, tough life. What can I say? (laughs) (laughs) Well, how did you end up in Hawaii? You said you grew up in on East coast. So how did you kind of trek out there and, and what do you do for a living? Yeah, so I, I grew up in Philly. I went to college in Virginia, and then kind of moved around the mainland a little bit. Uh, I was in out in California for a while, actually. Uh, speaking of California, as we were talking before, and then I, I lived in Colorado for some time. And it's a sad story now, boohoo. But I actually moved out to Hawaii because of a of a woman a couple of years ago. Um, it didn't work out, so it goes for actually a lot of people out here in Hawaii have that same story. But yeah, I really liked it out here. And um, my my day job, uh, well, I'm a writer, obviously, but uh, my background, mostly for the past 10 years, has been in travel writing. Um, so Hawaii was a very intriguing place for me because, yeah, it's part of the U.S., but it's a very Polynesian and Asian influence. So it's kind of almost like living in a foreign country. Um, that's sort of the profound answer. The shallow answer is that, hey, you know, the, the mountains and the beaches are really nice out here and the nice weather. Um, but I'm also a travel writer, so I come and go a lot. So I avoid a lot of that island fever. But, yeah, I've been a, uh, I, I went to school for journalism and my career has been in contributing travel content for most of the mainstream outlets, uh, magazines like Afar and Condé Nast and Outside Magazine and Forbes and places like that. And then a bunch of sort of uh, more uh, publications you may not have heard of that serve more towards uh, travel agents. But yeah, I produce travel content. So kind of my position is going to travel somewhere and tracking down a story and really immersing myself and hopefully coming away with an interesting tale to t- tell or, you know, a lot of guidebook kind of stuff, you know, what to do and how to do it, what to see. 
Um, so it's a, a fun lifestyle. Yeah. I have a really good friend who's a travel writer and I almost have to unfollow her on Instagram because she looks like <laughs> her life is so much better than mine all the time. Because it's yeah. just, I mean, it's how does one become a travel writer? Because is that, I mean, I obviously am a writer, but I'm not a journalist per se. So if you're kind of a journalist, is that like the, the, the top of it? I mean, is that what a lot of journalists aspire to be or does that take a special kind of breed because it's i imagine it's a lot of hard work a lot more hard a lot harder than people might think just getting to jump around the world yeah you know i think there is uh, there's definitely that glamorous side to it like you see on social media you know where someone's posting a picture and they're in a exotic location you know and they always seem to be somewhere different and on the run and living this you know great lifestyle and so i can't you know dispute that that is a reality of it but it does take a special person because um, you know, traveling all the time, like, okay, you know, you have two kids, like how would that work out? Right. right um, right. you have to have your life sort of set up to where you can disappear for two weeks and then come back for three days and then go away for a week again and then come back for two weeks and then leave for a month. And, you know, you have to be coming and going because if you're not traveling as a travel writer, a, you're not going to be very good because you're just sort of now regurgitating things you're reading about. Um, so you have to be on site to get the story and B, you know, I'm not trying to play, uh, you know, play up any cards here but you know you don't make a ton of money you know being a free right. when you're a travel writer you're a freelance writer so it's a hustle constantly so you know you're constantly trying to sell stories and you're making a few hundred bucks here or there occasionally you get a, a more uh financially rewarding story but you know it's a hustle so if you're not traveling and you're not going and doing it then it's really not worth it to be in the industry if that if that sort of makes sense that's a so, really um, good point though I, i'm glad you brought that up because the the illusion that everyone is doing a, you know is a certain way or making a certain amount of money and yeah that you have to co constantly hustle and work your tail off for for what you're doing i mean that's i'm glad you brought that up <laughs> totally and I, I joke with friends that i'm the richest poor guy yeah. you know because <laughs> i you know i make a very basic living but i i live at a level you know that would be different like someone had more money you know um but you know there's a lot of responsibility in it too like you you go on these nice trips right but you're there for work and you're there to track down a story and of course like if you are there are people that do it at a very elementary level so they'll do travel writing on the side and that's a little more flexible because but you know I'm, I'm trying to make a career so when I go you know I'm still catching up on stories from my previous trips and I'm now you know I just got finished writing a book and so I, you know I, I have a career as a writer so it's not all sipping daiquiris by pools you know I mean <laughs> um, so it is work but I, I really love it and what I love about it is just the opportunity to kind of you know visit different places have have it be a different experience every day I mean just being a journalist as you know as a writer I think that's a fascinating part that we get to take you know, even you on this podcast, you get to talk to different people all the time from different walks of life. Um, and that's really a special thing to kind of sidestep the routine a little bit and constantly have new things put in front of you. So, right. right. So yeah. where's, your, where's your favorite place to travel to or, or what kind of place maybe if that's easier? Yeah, I think I'm glad you phrased it that way, too, because this is going to a little bit of a soapbox, but I hate this new culture of like top five or best because it, <laughs> it, 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 it kind of insinuates that like, OK, one experience is better than the other, like skiing in Quebec is, is better than surfing in Hawaii, right? Like two right. totally different things. But um, so it depends on what you're looking for. I personally am drawn to 
the outdoors and natural beauty. So I tend to find places that have mountains or oceans or um, really lesser development, uh, very appealing. Like I, I really love Africa. I love parts of Southeast Asia. Um, but I also like, you know, in the U.S., the American West. I mean, you can't beat our national park system. So um, I just like a little bit of everything and I like to go everywhere and do everything. So but I, I trend towards more the outdoor oh, places with yeah. with visiting cities kind of like for short times. But yeah, I'm, I'm an outdoorsy kind. Yeah, that top have- five or best everything that is that is everywhere. It drives me crazy because every you hear to pitch an article somewhere, you know, a great idea is to pitch someone to say the top five or five reasons why. And I'm like, I don't I don't want to <laughs> even yeah. though I know it's like trendy right now, but it drives me crazy. It drives me absolutely insane as well. We're going to get along, you know, and, but unfortunately it's my reality. And this is kind of why I'm moving more into book writing because yeah, like I'll go on these trips, right. And I'll be in Fiji for two weeks and I'll have these amazing experiences and I'll come back and say, Hey, like, you know, check out this story, you know, this start to end story. And people are like, Oh great. Yeah, that's cool. You had that experience. Why don't you uh, combine that with four other experiences and write me a hundred words each and make a list out of it, you know, and it's just listicles. Uh, and I get that they're useful, but um, I don't know. I think it just encourages the wrong kind of travel. It makes us think as travelers that when we go somewhere, we have to check boxes and like, oh, I got to do these five mm-hmm. things. It's like, no, like, you know, you got to get there and like have an actual experience, not just like get there, take a photo and move on to the next. So right. I could talk for four hours about that. I don't know if we have time, but yeah. yeah I, that's such I, a good point about actually experiencing the place you go versus just checking a box. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, kind of segueing a bit. Um, and I know that you've written a couple books, you probably agree. Like a book is fine is like that one place left where you can really take a topic and say, okay, like, I'm going to tell you a story start to finish. And you can sit down with me and come along on this ride. Um, and it's the one place like in, you know, journalism, I guess that you can sit down and write 300 pages and really dive in and, and as a journalist, immerse yourself. And I don't know how you felt about that process, but I, I love it. I love really committing to something like that and, uh, and diving in. Yeah. Speaking of, um, things that people think make you a ton of money and don't let's, talk, <laughs> let's segue nicely into book writing. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. It uh, sounds glamorous, you know, I mean, it does sound glamorous and I don't regret doing either of them. Um, but it is interesting. It is an interesting path. So how did you, or what made you decide to write? Cause this is your first book, right? First book. Okay, yeah. First book yeah. is swim, bike, bonk. And this is how did you decide to write this particular book with all your all your travel experiences and and tell us a little bit about what it's about. Yeah. Okay. cool. Um, So, well, leading in, you know, I was a little disgruntled with what I had been doing. So a book had always been on my mind as sort of that outlet to tell the full story and immerse. And, um, you know, life's about networking. Right. So it had always been on my mind. But, you know, you get busy with other things, your travel writing, your podcasting. I mean, whatever you're doing. So. Um, it came to fortune that uh, I crossed paths with an editor and it was from Lions Press. And, you know, they do mostly sports books, which are not um, typically associated with travel. So I didn't know if we had quite a fit, but just one day kind of shooting the bull on the phone. You know, we had it was right about the time that the Iron Man was going on out here in Hawaii. Um, and so that kind of came up. I think we were talking about some book about how, like, you know, you could travel around the world to these sporting events. You know, I, to be honest, I was kind of throwing spaghetti against the fridge and seeing <laughs> if it would stick, you know? Right, right. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we started talking about the Ironman, which ton of people travel for. And, you know, they come out to Hawaii for the world championships every year. And then I had started telling the publisher a little bit how the race started out here. 
uh, with only 15 people and it originally was on Oahu and you know now it's blown up to what like 40 50 full lengths per year over 2,000 people in each thing um, so it kind of just was very um, organic in that sense and originally he had kind of um, was like okay you know expressed interest in maybe um, writing a history about it or something like that and just for me like I was telling you like I like to really immerse myself in something um, so doing a plain history bored me a little bit. I just thought, okay, like people can read the history of Iron Man anywhere. But, um, so I started researching it myself. You know, I started taking up the topic and my sister is a bit of a marathon runner. She's run Boston a couple of times. Um, but me, like the furthest I had ever run in my life before this book project was eight miles, you know? So Mm -hmm. I, I'm athletic. I like to swim or hike or play basketball, but in terms of these sports, you know, I, I didn't have much of a, an interest at the time. Um, and so I just thought, okay, let me do some research. And the more I research, the more I realized two things. One is how serious people took the world of triathlon and how much <laughs> it was growing, you know? And I mean, it really is. It's like almost like I don't want to use this word because I feel like someone's going to throw something at me, but it's almost a little bit of a cult, you know? Like yeah, when you yeah, get yeah, in, totally. you you are hooked. And now like I realized, I started reading about how people, you know, even have to date one another because they pick up this hobby and it's like so – uh, you know, turning, it turns off so many people that you can only date someone else who does it. Right. And so I was like, wow, that is just like so interesting that this thing developed here in Hawaii, which is normally just a chill, relaxed place. And then secondary, the more I look to read books and like learn more about this, I realized that there was no sort of everyday guy, quote unquote, you know, I was having trouble finding this everyday perspective. All the articles I read were from dedicated triathletes from their perspective, how you get better, how you get into it, um, why it's so great for life. And I just thought, man, like, what does someone who is not involved in this have to say about it? And, you know, that's kind of where my ideas started to formulate. You know, like I said, I had no experience in this. I hadn't run. I wasn't involved. Um, But I had this interest from this publisher on the history. And I just thought, you know what, like, why not throw myself in? Like, you know, I, I did some research on you. Okay. Like, and you know, a lot of the premise of your book, uh, was to encourage people, Hey, like one step at a time, you know, this is not this monumental thing that we should be afraid of. Like, you know, you've proven that and what you did, like you can take small steps and get there. I totally agree with that. Uh, I did the exact opposite. (laughs) I just said, you know what? Okay. Like, let me be an everyday guy and let me jump full into this triathlon life. And there's so much of it out here in Hawaii that I can, do it here. Um, and let me really ingrain myself. And you know what? Like, let me commit to doing a full length Ironman and let me see what that means. All right. So how, that was what the period of time. Did you decide to do that? Like, what was your time from start to finish to do Ironman? Okay. Well, this is where it gets interesting, right? Okay. <laughs> so originally when I'm talking to this guy, the publisher, I'm like, you know, thinking in my head, I'm laying out this plan. Like I'm laying it to you and I'm saying, okay, I'm going to have, you know, like most people train for a year. That's what I saw in my research. So I said, this was in August of 2017, uh, end of July, early August. And I said, okay, you know, here's my timeline. I submitted it to the publisher. I'm going to train this this winter. I'm going to get ready. I'm going to connect with all these people. I'm going to join these groups. I'm really going to immerse myself. And so this book is going to be a complete total immersion a la like Bill Bryson, a walk in the woods kind of deal. And when we get to the other side, I'll do like I'll, you know, or I'll try to do an Ironman next summer. And, you know, that seems like a cool timeline. You know, you, that's, again, not ever written a book thinking like, yeah, we got time. Books take a long time. I'll research for a year. Then I'll spend six months writing it. The, the publisher loved the proposal except for one problem. I had to have the book entirely finished and turned in by January, just six months from then. 
um, from August. So less than six months. So the book got kind of turned into this hustle where I was like, okay, I had to make a decision. Do I do an Ironman or not? What do I do? So in August, I ended up signing up for the Arizona Ironman in mid-November. So I only had three months to immerse myself and train. And so that becomes the premise for the book as a regular guy getting into this and is now kind of thrown into this uh, rush uh, or a big commitment, as you might say. And I had three months to meet as many people as I could and train and get to the starting line and and see how it went. And uh, it turned out to be a disaster in some sorts. And it turned out to be a success <laughs> in a lot of sorts. You know, I, I think that commitment really helped me um, as like an outsider just being like, holy, I don't know if we're allowed to curse on this, holy shit, like in three months, I have to do this, like what people call the greatest and most difficult triathlon on the planet. um, And I have no idea what I'm doing. But you know, that can be very empowering. And that can be very motivating when each day the clock is ticking. So I actually set up the book that way the book counts down, you know, we start with 100 days or so until the Ironman and each chapter, we get a little closer and sort of you see my evolution, which, you know, admittedly starts out as kind of cocky. And, you know, I didn't really see the whole deal of it. Um, But I'm humbled pretty quickly (laughs) in the book. And then, um, you know, eventually going and um, meeting a lot of these people, getting a lot of perspectives, some very helpful, some very discouraging. Um, (laughs) The first whole part of the book is called Don't Do It. There's four parts of the book. And, uh, you know, I get a lot of flack. I mean, rightfully so, as you just asked. I mean, I'm sure you're probably sitting there rolling your eyes thinking like, well, you're an idiot. Why would you? No, I'm actually not. It makes total sense to me. Okay, fair enough. Well, you're the first. Great. Yeah. You know, a lot of people were very discouraging. And I think a lot of it too was like, hey, you know, I train for a year for this and I dedicate my life to this. So how dare you come in and think you're going to do this in three months, you know? Um, So sorting through that. It's a different person though, because you, I mean, you weren't a couch potato. You weren't like someone who wasn't active. And I think that people underestimate the value of being like a lifelong athlete who's not an athlete like you you said you weren't like an athlete but you were very active and that that has a lot that's that's big gains as far as when you decide to do something i mean you can take james newberry newberry who just finished an iron man in, in 10 hours and 14 minutes and he's a crossfit games athlete and obviously crossfit doesn't translate directly to iron man and he did some training but that overall fitness obviously matters so I mean, if you are someone who's reasonably fit and you say, I'm going to do an Ironman in three months, I'll be like, yeah, knock yourself out. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. And I think the mentality too, right? So if yeah. you have like that athletic experience and that confidence and, you know, you have experience with listening to your body and, mm-hmm. and learning how it goes. Right. Um, but I got to be honest, you know, it's it's no easy task. <laughs> I mean, it, it was it was a very right. unpleasant experience for me, right. the whole thing. Um, and so I don't know necessarily if I would recommend that. No. But I learned a lot of lessons about myself, you know, sure. so – so I agree. Um, well, because from like a physiological <laughs> standpoint, you have the people telling you you can't build that kind of endurance in three months. Physiologically, you can't. It's not possible. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, and, and people always want to project their story onto you. <laughs> I did learn that very much so. Yeah. I'm sure you've, you got a lot of that too because you were oh, yeah. basically like me, you know, starting from square one and an outsider going into yeah. it, right? Yeah. I mean, I actually just wrote an article, um, a blog on my Psychology Today column. Um, because I finished four Ironmans in three years, um, weighing over 205 pounds, I guess, as a female athlete. And um, 
at the time everyone was like well you know that's not really possible like you're too heavy for iron man and you're definitely too heavy to climb mountains and Coeur d'Alene and lake placid and all that so i used to get a lot of that even though i was training um and i but again i don't recommend that either <laughs> because like <laughs> I, i'm like in the low 180s now and i'm still like no i'm still too heavy to do iron man at the moment like cuz it does take in a tremendous amount of effort and training and pain and yeah i wouldn't do that again so i i know exactly what you're saying <laughs> yeah and then okay so not even once you get like the physical part down then there's this whole fourth leg of the iron man which i had not knew nothing about or just of triathlons and that's the nutrition right mm, and yeah. i think in a way like learning your body in terms of that nutrition even takes longer than the physiological standpoint because I don't know. For me, like I had major tummy troubles all the time. I, um, you know, I just like learning how to fuel and, and how to do that. And everybody has a different opinion about how you should fuel your body. You know, whether you use um, like a liquid diet or you right. use the bars or the gels or real food or, you know, what it is like, what do you have in your special needs bags? People are eating candies, people are eating <laughs> soda. You know, I had no idea. So that was a journey itself for me too, learning. And at some point, you know, you feel like, okay, I'm burning all this energy. So I got to eat a lot. But now everything I'm eating, like cliff bars and these gels and sodas like this is all junk food like how is this good for me right so right. you're getting in really good shape but then everything you put in your body is seemingly sugar sugar <laughs> sugar right. so how does that play out long term so these are kind of all things like in the book as just an everyday person that maybe someone who's like super involved in it um you know already knows or understands but people from the outside like it's kind of fascinating like also things like that are hilarious like people pee while they're riding their bikes like mm -hmm shock me up had no idea had to practice <laughs> that one right like i mean i still yeah, can't just... pee on the move i cannot move my body and pee like i have to be still it's like even yeah. when i pee in the swim i have to like not be kicking <laughs> i have to like be totally still so even all these years later i still couldn't manage it on the bike which was whatever i wasn't you know trying to qualify for kona so i'm like you can get off the bike and spend four minutes going to the bathroom but um i could i could never do it even as hard as i tried <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a really funny time where I went out and I like, tried to practice it because I thought, well, okay, if people do this, and I had the same reaction. A, I almost got hit by a car, and B, it's like you're raising your leg off the bike like you're some dog, you know, on a hydrant. Um, yeah, it was funny, but that was the joke too with the swimming. Like the I did in Arizona, so you swim in Tempe Town Lake, and the joke was like, if you're not peeing in Tempe Town Lake, you're just getting peed on, you know. Yeah. Um, I feel <laughs> like, you know, so there's all this kind of like funny underbelly. And then really just all the people like, um, you know, you seem sort of more from my camp of like, yeah, you came from the outside and it's a fun thing. And um, I, I don't know if your husband does this or like how, but I mean, that, I mean, he did after I started because we had two young kids and I, and I knew he wasn't going to let me just disappear on the weekends <laughs> to do that. And so I, I made him, I signed him up for a race and we got a babysitter. So he came unwillingly. Was he, how did he react? Like, I mean, is he I mean, into it? He, Have you created a monster? I did. Like, so I did create a monster um, probably at the end of last year. He was, and I coached and I coached him. And so I created a double monster and he had this time goal. And um, yeah, he was a bit of a monster last year, but we moved twice in, in the past year. And it's just been, he hasn't gotten back to it, but uh, I did, I did kind of create a monster, but we, I don't know. We're just different. We never, we never were were those triathletes, you know what I mean? And I guess most of it was because I never was that triathlete. I never was talented or fast <laughs> enough to really become that triathlete. So it made it sort of, you know, a decision was made for me. <laughs> ah, that's fair enough point. But okay, imagine this too. Like a lot of the regular, even the age groupers, you know, like the financial commitment that these yeah. things require, like – 
now, like looking back, I'm kind of like, well, you know, if I spent, I mean, just to enter my race was $850, which was like my eyeballs popped out of my head. And then, you know, think about if you're coming to Hawaii or wherever you're going, you got to fly, you got to do the, uh, the hotels. I mean, my bike, I I went as cheap as possible. I got a bike for under a thousand dollars, but you know, people are riding around on three, $4,000 bikes minimum. Um, so I mean, I guess I could see how someone would be all in or disappointed or whatever you already want to call, like if they don't perform well, once you not only trained for a year and went through all that, but you've kind of dropped like five grand to do it, you know, that's, um, you could go to Europe for that, you know, you could come to Hawaii and just relax, you know, people come to Hawaii and they're like, Oh, I'm going to ride my bike on the hottest highway in the state. Awesome. For a hundred, you know, 12 miles. Great. How was your trip? Excellent. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. What do you think about expectations now that you've been through this experience? I mean, it, there's so much of life that is kind of made or broken by the expectations we have going into a situation or or a place. I mean, I would imagine with travel that that's a thing, too. You expect X, Y and Z when you land in a, in a city and you're going to do these things because it's on your itinerary and then expectations dictate all of a sudden you have a really bad trip because it's not, it didn't live up to what you thought. So how did expectations play a role in, in this outcome for you? Yeah, that's a great, great point about travel. I mean, I, I try as a traveler, like I try and read things, but not look at too many photos. I mean, social media now, they doll up every image. So you never really see what you think you're going to see. Um, separate conversation. But yeah, like for me, you know, as a, just a newbie at this, I was just trying to survive. You know, I was trying to get to the line in one piece. I had a lot of it band injuries and things like that along the way. So just getting there, um, because like, as you know, like when you put your, you know, like when you're writing a book about it, it's like, okay, you want to get there and do well. So I think I had a lot of expectations for myself in that regard. Um, I don't want to necessarily give away what happens to me in the ending of the book, but (laughs) I will say like one lesson I really learned um, and what I found out by talking to people, especially friends, like as I was going through this journey and like telling them about what I was going to do and hearing their reactions, you know, most people kind of eliminate themselves from accomplishing something before they even try. Like it's almost like celebrity culture. Like we look up to these people as their goddesses, as if they didn't like take a path to get there, you know, like these mm-hmm. famous singers and bands, it's like, okay, like maybe there's some luck involved or, you know, getting that viral clip or whatever. But, you know, these people had a plan and they went through an action and, you know, they got to the top by getting there. And I see kind of triathlon the same way. Like when you first start, as you talk about on some of your talk shows and in your books, like it looks like, oh my God, you want me to go 140 miles? You know, like I barely, I haven't driven that far in a year, you know? <laughs> Um, and so at that point, it seems unattainable and your expectations are that like, oh, I can never do that and I'm going to fail and I'm going to have all these things along the way. But when you really like kind of break it down, like one thing at a time and like, okay, like, you know, start where you are, use what you have, you know, like get in the pool and swim, like step out your front door and run. As you start to accomplish these things, you gain confidence. And when I would talk to friends that would literally like go to the gym five times a week, they weightlift, they're in great shape and they could be, they would say to me, oh, I could never, you know, I could never do an Ironman. Wow, that's crazy. You, you know, you're going to try and bike all that way or run all that way. That's crazy. And I'm like, dude, you already do all this. Like you already have the discipline of going to the gym. You already lift weights. You're already eating healthy. Like why can't you do it? Like I'm not special. You know, I'm just going through this process. And 
I think that was like kind of the biggest reveal to me about triathlons and and the struggle and with Ironman specifically um, as it relates to other things in life. Like what else am I just assuming I can't do, you know, because there is a process to everything. Right. And a lot of times with our expectations of ourselves and what we've done in the past, we just eliminate. Um, And I just found so many people. I I just wanted to shake them by their shoulders and being like, dude, like you can do it, too. Like you can try like you can you know, you're not going to win. Right. Like, (laughs) but what are your expectations? Like, do you want to just get out there and finish this and and try it? Like, okay, well, here here's my story. Check it out. Like, see how I fared, you know. And it wasn't perfect, but um, so that was kind of for me, like just going through that process. And I think, you know, for all that I poke fun at triathletes in the book, and I have a good time with it. You know, I deeply respect that about them. Like, these are believers. You know, these are people that. Um, they have high expectations for themselves. Yes. Like sometimes they don't get there and they're a little hard on themselves. Yes. But you know, these people believe in themselves and they, they don't see the task as insurmountable because they've gone through this process. And I really respect that about them for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I've been around the block long enough, um, in triathlon to know that it is definitely that type of sport that you can start and you don't feel good about yourself. You don't have any confidence that you can do anything. And it does teach you how to become resilient, how to accept disappointment, how to accept embarrassment, um, as well <laughs> as creating a level of discipline that you didn't think was possible. I mean, when I would get up in the morning to train for Ironman at 4.30 and go to my law job and my two kids were at home and um, with my husband, and then we had a nanny we paid in order to do all this stuff. I mean, the lengths I went to in order to accomplish that goal, it seems crazy in hindsight, but it was such a great lesson in, in so many areas, you know, you if you want something bad enough, A, it does require a sacrifice, B, then go do it. <laughs> you know, if you really yeah. want something, go after it. And I think sometimes the people say, oh, I could never do that. That A lot of times they're just saying, oh, no, thanks. I wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know, like yes. I, don't want, I don't care to do that. And, like, and I wish people would just say that. Oh, no, that's dumb. I'll go, yeah, it is. <laughs> Right. Totally. And even even triathletes. Right. One of my biggest questions throughout the book is why? Like, why do you do this? So I I was so interested in this because, again, like as an athlete, you know, I play basketball or hike. You know, all these activities are fun to me. Like I love hiking, swimming, surfing, whatever, basketball. But, you know, these people seem to like really struggle and hate the training sometimes. Like when I would ask triathletes, like, you know, they would describe it as a struggle and all these kits online I would read about how to change it's like to train is to suffer and it's like okay you know so I guess these guys don't really like enjoy it and then so I would ask you know triathletes like hey like why do you do this like if it's such a struggle and if you're hurt all the time or whatever and they say the biggest answer was well I like the challenge mm-hmm. and what I learned over the course of my experience was that what people actually mean by that is they like having completed the challenge you know like They like once they're done looking back and saying like, wow, like it was 100 degrees on the Arizona Beeline Highway and I did it and I got two flat tires and I still did it and I overcame all this and look at all this training and yeah, it was suffering, but I got through it and I like how that makes me feel. I think we can all uh, relate to that like on some level where you accomplish something that feels really good and instantly all the stuff that was like terrible about it, you know, you kind of kind of forget that and the good times rise to the surface and it's like, hey, I did it. And I think that was like what really hit home for me with triathletes is that, yeah, like it's not that fun, but once you do it, it actually feels pretty dang good. And that's what makes people like 
And now they've committed so much of their social calendar to this, or as I like to say, their anti-social calendar, just to like mm -hmm. training and you kind of build your life around this. Now, like, okay, you have to sign up for another one, right? Because how could you go back to doing a half hour run before dinner? Like you're never going to feel satisfied because you've pushed <laughs> your limits so much like over the course of this year. So yeah, like it took me a while. Like I, I'm done. Like I'll, I'll give you the spoiler there. Like I'm not doing another yeah. one. I yeah. have no interest. And, um, you know, I was able to kind of transition back to real life. Now this was back in 2017, but for a while it was kind of like, man, like I would go for a half hour run and think to myself, wow, like I, you know, I'm slacking even during training. Maybe you go through this, like one of these memorable moments I had in the book where it's like, I, one day I go for a three hour bike ride and a seven mile run. I'm like, wow, that was amazing. The next, you know, two days later I do a two hour run and a five or a two hour bike ride and a five mile run. And to the outside person, it's like, okay, well you're a beast. Like that's a lot. You know, to me, I sat there and I felt like I had slacked off. Yeah. I was like, I rode for an hour less and I did two less miles. Jeez. You know, you yeah. get in this mentality where you have to keep crushing it. And that's like a slippery slope. So right. that was very right. interesting to see for me. Um, you seem to have kept a pretty even keel about it though. You didn't get, yeah, you know, I, I, well, first of all, if like if an athlete comes to me and they say, Oh, I love race day, but I hate the training. I will not <laughs> coach them. I will not coach them because that is the dumbest thing. Like, and people say, you know, oh, I love to bike, but I hate to run. Then why are you doing it? Like, I swear, <laughs> yeah, totally. I've, been, I've spent a decade in triathlon now. I don't have the patience for someone that tells me they'd hate to swim. I don't because if life is short. People are dying left and right. If you hate to swim, do not swim, bike and run. If you hate to bike, why are you doing it? Yeah, and just I run marathons or do something else. Yeah, do, do one it sport. One time and shut up yeah. about it. Like, totally. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I am so strongly opinionated about this, but I will, I will absolutely not coach someone who says they only like to race. Um, so that's that's where I stand on that. But um, as far as getting back to the real world, that is so true. Um, I my workouts now consist of twenty minutes of cardio, and I mean cardio, like stair stepper or elliptical. And then I go pump some iron, like bodybuilding workout. And, and then I'm done. And I am so happy. <laughs> so happy because yeah, I know what you mean. I used to go out and ride five, six hours and then do a short run, um, you know, off the bike and, and would spend the whole day doing that. And at the time, and, and this is where I kind of fall in the whole thing is, if it's not serving your life at the, at a particular time in your life, you shouldn't be doing it. But at the time I was doing that long distance training, it was, I, I desperately needed it for a, a wide variety of reasons, but you have to make anything you do, any sport about the benefits that it is, that it's adding to your life. And my first coach, Jerry Halpin, um, told me, he said, Hey, triathlon at all times should add to your life, not take away. He said, once that balance once it becomes a sport that is constantly taking from you, it's time to step away. And I always kept that in the back of my mind. Like if, if this is not giving, <laughs> then I'm out, you know? Yeah. And so many times I think people allow it to take their relationships and take their time and take their body, like pushing beyond what's healthy. And so I, I think this is an, an interesting thing. You're like, yeah, I proved that I could do it and I'm done. <laughs> Yeah. Well, like, you yeah, know, I think that's, yeah, I think that's great advice from your coach because I mean, 
even just the physical aspect and the time, the wear and tear on your body. And it's like, we're talking, you know, you have to do all the training, you know, the personal side is like huge as well. That's why I kind of call it your anti-social calendar because you have, you miss out on things because of training. And then, you know, I, I had a girlfriend at the time that I was living with. I mean, it totally impacted our life. I mean, our, our sex life was, was, you know, I was always so tired at night. I, I always felt so complete by my workouts that I really didn't necessarily need to do things on weekends. I wanted to rest, you know, and so obviously that wasn't a good thing for the relationship. So there's all these other things that go in. So, I mean, you have a little more experience than I do in this. Like, why do you think people still do it then? Like why, if they're saying that they don't like it, I mean, <laughs> is the the, the law of the accomplishment like that much like what well i think deep down i mean and, and i think there is a distinction to draw between like um half iron man 70.3s and fulls i think you can do um 70.3 training all year i think you can train for a half iron man stay in that kind of shape and just live there and that be the way you train because you can go out every you can do your one hour swim on Monday, you can do your one hour bike on Tuesday. You can run for an hour. You can train for a half Ironman for the rest of your life, I believe. Um, I think it's sustainable in that regard. So people that love to race halves, I mean, they, they tend to just kind of stay there and do that. And that becomes part of their life. And, and then some people, I think, can stay in full Ironman shape because they're very smart about it. I mean, I know many athletes that have continued to do them year after year, well into their 50s and 60s. And But they're very intelligent human beings and they do it for the love of the training and the camaraderie. And so, I, you know, the people that are out there saying they hate to to do a certain leg of the event and stuff, I, I don't know if they just do that for they just say it for show and then they go out and they qualify for Kona. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, I don't know why people do half the things they do, but um, I do know if you hate something, it's either going to take over your life in a really negative way or you're going to leave. And so, um, but I do think there's a distinction between short, shorter distance triathlon training and Ironman. I think you can train for triathlon for life and it can become a lifestyle sport and be very beneficial for you. Um, but you see the burnout happen at the, the really long distance level. That's when you see people do a race or do four or five races and then they just fall off the planet because it is a lot. It is a lot. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like such a weight was lifted off me when I got my life back. Uh, just <laughs> yeah, like. The, one of those stressful parts is like the the, the first few like uh, days leading up to the race. You know, you're like, okay, now I'm here in Arizona, but now I got like to do the check-in and all this stuff. And you have like two or three days before the practice swim. And you just have this like, I mean, talk about like in school, it used to be stressed when you have like a test looming or something, you know, like English test. Yeah. You know, here you have like your hardest physical challenge of your life looming over your head. You know, you're just waiting and you're monitoring your body. Like, am I going to eat something wrong? What's going to mm -hmm. happen? Da, 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 da. I found that so stressful, especially when it's something like we're talking about. Most people have put, for me, it was a little different, but most people put like a year into this. They've sunk, you know, like uh, two or three vacations worth of money into this. They've dragged their family through this process. And now it's like, here's the day of reckoning. Here it is. Like, how are you going to perform? How is it going to go? Is it going to be windy, rainy, hot, cold? You know, and when you get through all this, it teaches you a lot. But for me, that was like one of the most stressful parts of like, oh, my God. So once this was all over and the dust settled, I just felt like, oh, wow, what a breath of fresh air to be done. <laughs> and I just couldn't imagine. And maybe some people learn about this. You know, you just 
you know, it's, it's for you or it isn't, you know, maybe this is just one of those, I mean, obviously it's an extreme sport, but maybe we should take that very literally. Like this is an extreme for sport for extreme people. And, you know, for people like me, it's just like, ah, I'm an everyday guy. Let me check it out. Like my sister runs marathons, you know, maybe it's no surprise that it's not for me. Um, you know, as someone that just likes a little more variety, likes, you know, I, I want to do a little more things and really, you know, take pride in what I do. So yeah, but it was, <laughs> it's a fascinating world. I yeah. mean, and, and I think too, you know, it kind of goes back to expectation, you know, the, the level I was, the level of triathlete I was, I, I didn't have a lot of room for a lot of expectation. I didn't have the, um, I guess time pressures. Like my time pressure was the, the end of the race clock. Like I had to beat midnight or 17 hours, depending on what race. And so my, my mental set, like my mental state was a little bit different than some of the, the hardcore athletes who are after a time goal. And, um, so I always had a different perspective, um, when I would start a race and I would, I would go into every race with, with just gratitude that I was there, that I made it healthy, uh, that I made it to the race healthy and that kind of thing. So I think the mental pressure you put on yourself is, is huge. It, you know, what are you there for? What are you there to, to try and prove something? And I think, I think we are all trying to prove something, but you know, it depends on where you are and who you're trying to prove it for or prove it to. And one of the things that I had dinner with Mike Riley in Boston last year, and he's the announcer of Ironman. And he's like, when are you coming back to race? And I said, I don't know, Mike, like I just, it's not in me right now. And he said, you know what, Meredith, Ironman will always be there for you. He said, there will be a time when you may need it. And, and I thought about that and that was exactly how it was for me. Um, when I, did my four Ironmans, it was because it was a time in my life that I needed it. I needed it. Um, I was overcompensating to prove that I was healthy when I actually wasn't. Um, I was trying to bike and swim away from a job that <laughs> I didn't like. Yeah. Um, and It'd be very away. powerful. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a complete substitute for actually living my life. And, and I mean, I feel like we've kind of had like an undertone of negativity about the whole sport. <laughs> so I, you know, um, and I don't want to do that one because I am very much an advocate for triathlon, but I also know that, um, the reasons I did those long, long distance races was because I was trying to run from something at that time. And I don't feel that need anymore. And, and, and it doesn't mean that that's a bad thing. And it doesn't mean that everyone's trying to run from something either. Um, but that's kind of where I, why, where I fell on it. And, yeah. I wouldn't yeah. generalize either that everybody, but I kind of align with you because during the book, you know, I asked a lot of people, I pulled some people, et cetera. And, you know, nobody really said they were doing it because they liked to swim, uh, bike and run. You know, it was always like, oh, I like the accomplishment or, oh, you know, a lot of them got pretty personal. Like, oh, you know, I want to prove for my kids that anything's possible. Mm -hmm. I had a loved one pass away that I'm going to do it for. Um, some people were even like, I was made fun of as a kid and now I want to prove that I'm, you know, a badass or, you know, you had all these different reasons coming together that went much beyond just the physical aspect of doing it. Um, so I found that very intriguing and that made it like a really deep experience and just seeing how that community, you had your, you know, your uh, big time athletes, but you also had people like that just were trying to prove something or maybe in your case, like kind of running from something a little bit. I just felt a lot of pressure because, you know, I was writing a book about it. So mm -hmm. yeah. um, I didn't necessarily have to finish even. I didn't have to finish first, obviously, but even finish. But I didn't want to like, 
be a chump, you know, like who wants that? Or <laughs> I didn't want to like, which happened to me, you know, like I didn't want to have like a flat tire and have that ruin my day or some mechanical issue. Now I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm just done. You know, like my bike doesn't work. Uh, yeah. you know, what a, what a bad ending that would be. But I, I kind of was like in your boat, I, I get to the starting line and I'm like, okay, well, you know, you know, you're, you're an in shape guy, but you know, recognize where you are here. You're with some of the most in shape people on the planet. And, you know, I had no expectations on time. Like I had obviously like pacing goals that I thought mm-hmm. would give me the best chance to get there. Um, but that all changed for me because I think Iron Man is a little sick in this way. And I think they do it with a laugh. You know, I was riding the bike and I was probably on like mile 30 or something. And, um, you know, you start to see these signs like mile 80, you know, and it's <laughs> right. like, oh, wait, triple loop. Right? Yeah, like that sign's not for another three hours. You know, it's right. like, come on. And so I started to like, you know, laugh along with them. And then but then as the, the bike went on, I kind of, you know, obviously got tired. And um, I remember one instance where I'm on this kind of straightaway and the wind's blowing at me and I'm kind of like in one of those down segments of the race. And this guy goes and rides by me and I catch him out of the corner of my eye and he looks quite older than me. And I mean, he like blows by me. And then I go and I look, you know, and now I realize like why Iron Man makes you write your age on your calf. And I think it's so like, you know, it's like a nanny nanny when somebody rides <laughs> by you, but they're literally 40 years older than you. Right. You get like passed by like a 75 year old man on a straightaway when you like have your head between the handlebars and you're like, my God, like. You know, and that was kind of like funny. So then that fueled me. I was like, okay, man, come on. Like, you know, you're 32 here. Like, let's get going. You can't be getting passed by all these people, you know? So that was kind of a funny motivation. And, but um, just also an interesting personality quirk of Iron Man that they do it that way. Oh, yeah. And like, it's not, I don't know how Arizona finish line is. I've been there spectating twice, but I can't, like, I can't recall it. I've been to so many at this point. But I know in, in Louisville, um, you literally at the half marathon point, you run past the finish line, like within 100 yards. Oh and God. so, you know, people, the, the, the crowd's like, you did it. I'm like, shut up. I've got like <laughs> three more hours, you know? Um, but I feel like they should have like, um, a special necklace or something that you can wear that says you're on your first loop when you run by that first. Yeah. <laughs> that so first no one's in. Yeah. Totally. Um, but that was always really hard because you get, you get pumped when you, when you pass that, cause you're like, Oh, I'm going to do that. And then at the same time, when you turn the corner and start heading back out and then it's dark, uh, cause I always race in the dark. It's just kind of how it works out for me. Um, <laughs> you know, you're like, Oh, here I am. I'm alone in the dark and I'm at mile 14 and this sucks. And why do I do this? And then you start that conversation. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, I always get passed by, by men in their sixties on, on the run. I, I get passed by everyone on the run. Um, but that has been, yeah, kind of a badge of honor. Like how many, how many old dudes can blow by me? <laughs> it's totally funny. It's like a, it's a sick twist. There's another one. There is one like that you're talking about in at Arizona. Um, it's at the halfway point of the run. There's a split and there's literally a sign that's like finish line this way with an arrow and then second lap with an arrow the opposite way. And I'm just like, I remember watching one of the guys um, go that way. And, you know, he's like talking to the, he's like, is anyone behind me? You know, he's like kind of getting ready for his big finish. I just wanted to like take a rock and throw it at the back <laughs> of its head, like Mrs. Doubtfire style with a lime or something. I just, it was like such a moment where I was like, oh my God, F you, Iron Man. Like, why are you doing this to me? You know? uh, but yeah, yeah, you have those moments, but getting passed by, uh, I mean, that's so humbling, right? Like when I was passed by that guy on the bike, I was like, oh my God, like here I am thinking I'm such a big shot, but you always have, you know, that room to grow, you know? And, um, so these are all lessons that are swirled into. I mean, what a th- what a what a couple months it was for me. I mean, it was just that's why, like, as a writer, like 
tying it kind of all together, like the ability to immerse myself in this world and learn about it and just chalk me up as a person that didn't know any of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, it made for fascinating uh, content for me. And um, yeah, the end result was a 300 page personal narrative. So um, it was quite That's a journey. Awesome. Very awesome. Yeah. Swim, bike, bonk. Um, bonk does not mean what you might think it means <laughs> if you were new to triathlon. So yeah, I had to explain are... that one a lot. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah. So, well, one more question for you. This podcast is called The Same 24 Hours, meaning we all have the same 24 hours in our day. But it's what we do in those 24 hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. So I like to ask my guest uh, the question of what is something that you do in your 24 hours that you believe contributes to your greatest life? Wow. Wow. You know what? I'll, I'll put it this way. I'm, I'm a writer, um, which makes me a bit of a, a thinker and an analyzer. But I think one of the, the biggest things for me, um, mental health wise, and just for my planning of my life is to always carve out a time in the day to just like for quiet thinking. A lot of people do this like in terms of meditation. I don't really. Um, Sometimes I just take a walk or sometimes I just like kind of lay on my bed or walk down to the beach, take a hike by myself. But I always take some time to really think about what's going on in my life. What do I want to accomplish? What What tasks do I have to do? And it's kind of a part of a rundown for me. I think with the social media and I'm always on my email and friends and this and that, and I'm a traveling man. So I'm always busy here and there to just take some time every day to like reflect and think that has been really healthy for me. Um, so I don't know if that's something for everyone, but, uh, I feel like I get a lot more out of my health and life. If I'm always just kind of reflecting for a few moments, planning, and really like, even if something's bothering me, grinding through that, so not just distracting my mind when I'm, you know, feeling stress or something, but really diving into it and kind of always having a clear head. That, that old adage, like never go to bed angry. Like I just feel like never go to bed if you don't have it all sorted in your head, you know. So um, yeah. for me, that's what I do. That's kind of helps me. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Will. This was great. Meredith, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Same 24 Hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.